Well, good morning once again to everybody here. Open up my, my notes. Uh, we are in the middle of a new sermon series called Who Do You Say I Am? And where that, where that comes from is, uh, and I'm sorry, I don't have my... Um, I have my Britney Spears mic that happens there. It keeps going in and out, and I, and I realized at the first service, the reason being is I have these things called love handles, and, and, and what happens is, is that it interferes with the antenna. So when you reach a certain level of weight, that can happen. And as it's like cracking, it's just this reminder of not to eat popcorn late at night. And so that's, that's my, my gift this morning. So I'm using one of these instead. I apologize if I go in and out. But uh, this is, that's all free stuff that you don't need for the sermon. But this morning, uh, Who Do You Say I Am is coming from um, the Gospel of, of Mark, where Jesus gathers his disciples around. And he says to them, again, what is, what is the word on the street? What are, what are people saying about me? What, who do you say I am? And the disciples kind of get it, kind of not. They, they can't really put their, their, their words together to try to explain who truly he is. And then Peter, of course, by, by God's own hand, Peter stands up and he says to Jesus, you, you are the Christ. And, and what this series is, is it's moving that, that, turning that question around on Jesus, that if we, like Peter, say, Jesus, you are the Christ, and I believe in you, and I trust in you, and you are my Lord and Savior, and forgive me of my sins, you know, the whole, the whole prayer, right? If we do that and place our trust and belief in him, we can then ask him, ask the Lord, who, who is it that you say I am in you? Who am I? Now, who am I as a, as a Christ follower, as a Christ card-carrying believer? And last week, we, we kind of started before the beginning, and we talked about how one of the things that, that, that Scripture says we are is that we are known before creation, and that we started before the beginning, and talked about how that means that in God's own mind, we were a plan, we were a purpose, there was intention, there was, it was not accidental, and that means that there is a purpose for our lives, a time period in which we are living in that's been God-ordained, and all that good stuff. But today, what's going to happen, today we're going to kind of turn the corner here just a little bit, and we're going to start at the actual beginning in the book of Genesis and learn a little bit, um, learn two more things about ourselves. You all know that, uh, that I like to cook. Has, is that a new, if you don't know, I do like to cook. I like cooking. Cooking's a lot of fun. And I think I'm okay at it. I think I'm, I'm pretty good at it. And people, people tend to ask, you know, what is it that you like to make? What is it that you like to cook? And I can cook fancy pants things, and I'm not afraid of doing that. But what I really, where I'm at home at in the kitchen, is cooking meals that are good old home style, the way grandma, mom uh, used to teach, you know, all those things. And so spaghetti meatballs, fried chicken, don't know why I have love handles, right? You know, all those, those different meals that I enjoy making and, and, uh, and meatloaf. And, and the reason why I bring that up is that there are times that I tend to enjoy watching cooking competition shows. Not football and, and all the sports like a typical person should. I like the great bake-off, great. No, I, I watch those things. And what happens in those cooking shows is, especially those competition shows where they give you an ingredient and they say, transform this ingredient. This, every now and then, there's a chef on there who's like, they get ground beef, and their, their competitors are making steak tartare and doing all sorts of fun things, and they look at the camera, and they're like, I'm gonna make a meatloaf. And they make a meatloaf, and the judges are like, this better be the best meatloaf ever. So for this service, this sermon this morning, in which we're going to talk about something very, very profound, yet very simple, something that you've heard before, 
I'm going to make meatloaf. And what I mean by that is that as I put this sermon together, I realize this is now the third time that I've preached on this topic here at the church. And quite frankly, I'm out of illustrations. No, but as I, as I put this together, and, and, I, and I thought, we just need to have meatloaf. This just needs to be a simple message, a gospel truth, a biblical truth, one that we have to come to terms with and come face to face with in order to truly understand who we are in Jesus. And so today, it may be a message that you've heard before. It may be a message that you need to hear right now. It may be review, or this may just blow your mind. And if it blows your mind, you know, let's talk about that afterwards and, and, and figure out why that is so. Today, we're going to ask the Lord, who do you say I am? And we're going to find out two things. We're going to find out that we are created. That's not new, right? But why, the implications of what it means that God breathed life into us. And then we're going to find out the other shoe. The other shoe has to drop. And we're going to come face to face with the thing of our identity that says, yes, we are, we are created, but we also fell and we are fallen. And so that's what we're going to do today. For those of you here for the first time, this may seem like a Debbie Downer message because I'm going to be talking about sin and what it means to be a sinner. And just know that we, we don't shy away from that, but this is not typically the every Sunday message where you're going to hear hellfire and brimstone. But today, I'm bringing the fire. So that's what we're going to look at today. All right? So let's dive in. Let's kind of talk about what this means. If we were to ask God, who do you say I am? He may say all of the good things that we are are going to talk about, that you're known, that you're called, that you're loved, you know, that he may say that all of those things, and they're all true, but I also think that God, when we ask him, who do you say I am, would sit us down and say, my son, my daughter, you are a sinner who is in need of my grace. And if you are a sinner who is in need of my grace, you're separated from me. And if you're separated from me, you can't reach out for the tree of everlasting life and live forever. And if you can't live forever with me, it's death, it's exile, continuous separation. That is also who you are. So why even talk about something like this? And the reason being is that we have to come to terms with this core part of our identity as being sinners if we're ever going to know what it means to place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. We have to know this truth in order to know the need for Jesus. Because if we don't know this truth, then Jesus is just a great idea. Jesus is just a list of things that I could possibly follow if I want uh, a certain aspect in my life. But if I don't follow it, I can have joy elsewhere. you got to get this part right in order to understand what we're going to preach on next Sunday, which is redemption in Jesus. So let's dive in. Let's dive in. What does, who does God say we are? So last week it was you were known before creation. This week is you are created, but you are also fallen. Let's talk about what it means to be created. Now, I want you to open up to, uh, in your Bibles, to the book of Genesis. That's the first book. If you've, if this is the first time open the Bible, great, wonderful. It's the first book. And in the pews, if there is a Bible there, you can open up to page one, uh, and, and look there. We're going to read, um, Chapter 1, verses uh, 26 and following, to kind of understand what this means about being created and the implications thereunto. This may be a review for you. This may be the first time. Either way, let's get to it. Chapter 1, verse 26 in the book of Genesis. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And so it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth of the day. Who does God say we are? He says, you are created. And if we are created, if I may, if I may paraphrase for the Lord, which is dangerous, shouldn't do it, but if I may, he's basically saying, you are mine. You're mine. I created you. The very breath that breath that breathed, excuse me, creation into being, the very breath that said, let there be light, the very breath that said all of those things, that courses through your lungs right now, that calls your heart to pump, that calls your brain to think, that causes your body to move, the very breath who said, let's get this party started, is in you. Now, think about that for just a second. Meditate on that for a second. Because if you're like me, you may have taken that for granted, right? It may be a biblical truth. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, we get it. It's a great story. It's in the beginning. Let's get to the other stuff. But what does it mean that the very God who created all of this also created you? And not only created you, but create, you're the part of the creation, you and I, that it says is in the very image of God we were created. In His likeness, He created us. You may have heard the fancy phrase, the Imago Dei. That's basically, that is what is happening, that we are not created to be God. We were created to be in the image of God. And that means God says, you are mine. I created you. That means I want you to, to think the way that I think. I want you to do the things that I've told you to do. I want you to love the things that I love and despise the things that I despise. It, the, the, you may have heard Pastor Jerry as he introduced this um, series using the, the checker piece. Have you ever played checkers, right? And uh, I, I, has everyone played checkers? You good? Checkers is a game that starts with <laughs> red pieces and whatever. But anyways, so you start with your, che your checker piece kind of face down. I did not know this. I didn't know that the checker pieces had one side with a crown and the other side that didn't. Blew my mind. So you start with it down like this, and you move on the checkerboard, and you move in a very linear way, and you just kind of go about life doing your thing, doing your business, not minding anything. And the whole point of the story is that if you flip that checker piece over, you realize that you had the crown, the seal of the Lord, kind of, not for checkers, but this is what it means, the seal of the Lord on you from the very, very beginning. In checkers, you become kinged or queened, whatever, when you get to the other side and you get the other piece, and now you can move wherever it is you want to move on the board. That was the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, we were kings and queens. We were, as uh, the best way to explain it, we were vice regents. 
vice regents in that we were created in the image of God, and he said to us, I've given you dominion over it all. Now go out there and subdue it, fill it, and multiply it, and all these things are at your disposal. Just go do and have fun and live and do those things. Total freedom. Now, I said to you, there's going to be another shoe about us being fallen. But know this. That purpose for our lives, that intent, that love in which he created us, that does not go away when the next thing happens. That does not go away for you, even though you may and you are sinners before the Lord. Just because we wander and just because we do dumb things and just because we sin against him does not change the intent of who he designed and created us to be. Take a deep breath. That air that is filling your lungs is the breath of life. And that was placed there by the creator who says to you, you are mine. You're mine. You are my workmanship is what scriptures say. But another way to transfer work, translate workmanship could be instruments or masterpieces. Last week I talked about C.S. Lewis in his writing talks about how if God was an artist, that when he created humanity, when he created humans, he did this wonderful self-portrait and he poured everything that he could into this self-portrait painstakingly drawing in the very qualities of each and every one of us. And then what happened was is that the portrait reached out and grabbed that paintbrush and started painting in, not knowing what it was doing, just painting stuff in that isn't of the intent of the Lord and that is not of the image of God. God says, you are created, you are mine. He places a high value in our lives then. It is great care for us and what we are intended to be. This is a great marriage between last week and this week. There is a purpose for your life. You're not created by accident. There's a great intent. The author of the world says, you are mine, and I've got things for you to do, but you can do in spite of everything that's going to happen. We've been kinged. We've been queened. We are stewards of this entire world at this story of the Garden of Eden. So what happened? How do we get to today where I am up here making meatloaf, and talking about what it means to be sinners. Well, that means that we have to go for the rest of the story. Does anyone know who Paul Harvey is? Raise your hand if you know who Paul Harvey is. Paul Harvey is this radio guy. This is also free information. My grandpa listened to Paul Harvey all the morning longs. I hated Paul Harvey as a kid. And you know why? Because we couldn't do anything at my grandparents' house until Paul Harvey got to the rest of the story. So I'm at the kitchen table, and I'm thinking, get to it, Paul. Let's get to the rest of the story. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to hear the rest of the story. So yes, very true statement, very good statement. You were created and it was very, very good. But you are also fallen. So if you go to the book of Genesis and now look at chapter 2, verse 16, what happened? Chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Actually, I'm going to start verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now notice here, he does not give a lot of explanation after that. 
It's just, here's this tree, don't eat it, you eat it, you die. Case in point. The idea here is, is that these vice regents have freedom about the entire place, but here's this tree, please don't eat of it, I'm telling you not to eat of it, and if you do, you will die. He doesn't explain why they will die. He doesn't explain the life that we are living right now on the other side of that tree. He just says, don't. Don't do it. Now, if you're like me and like any of the teenagers that I used to teach this stuff to in confirmation class, you'd raise your hand and you'd say, question, why would God put the tree in the garden in the first place? We all know what happens when there's a red button and we're told not to press it. What do we do? We press the button. My son, I was making dinner last night. I was making zucchini noodles because I'm trying to eat right. Making zucchini, and I put the zucchini noodles on the table. I looked at Caleb and I said, don't touch, don't eat it. And then I turned over to the stove and started cooking. Two minutes later, I hear Carrie downstairs, Caleb, what are you eating? What is that? Is that green? I said, he ate the zucchini. That's us. The tree is zucchini. God has said, don't touch it. And we are like Caleb, and we're like, I'm going to eat it. So that's the start of it. This tree gets placed. Then chapter 3, we get this new character. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So good on Eve, right? She kind of responds back and says, yeah, God said, don't eat it. Don't touch it. We'll die. But then the serpent said to the woman, uh, he, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, stop here real quick. The serpent is not lying. He's not lying. He's just giving the truth in a different way and shielding the ramifications of what's going to happen. Because, yes, eating of this tree will open up our eyes to be like God, to know all of those things in which God had said, I don't need you to know that. So the servant says, no, your eyes will be open. It's good. Go ahead and do it. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with, with her, and he ate. And the eyes of them were both open, and they knew that they were naked, N-A-K-I-D, and they sewed figs together and made themselves loin cloths. What happened? It's so easy to look at this, this passage in Scripture and say that, well, obviously the serpent, if the serpent wasn't there, none of this would have happened. And then because the serpent came, he obviously led them to doing these things. So that's where we get the argument, the devil made me do it. I don't know if I, if I actually line up with that or see that. I see the serpent as being crafty, but what I see the serpent doing is actually just exploiting what is already there. We were made in the image of God. We were given vice-regent duties to su subdue and multiply and fill. We were given a lot of freedom. Of course, that means that we could possibly have been given the freedom to ask questions, to possibly weigh in our mind whether this is good or not. Because if that possibility isn't there, then we were just kind of robots. 
And faith really doesn't exist, and trust doesn't exist. That tree is there because that tree is a boundary for them to understand their freedom. Let me say that again. That tree is there because it's a boundary for them to understand just how free they are. Boundaries need to exist in order to understand the true nature of freedom, if you really get your mind around it. Look how God created the world. The world was in chaos. He hovered over the mist. And then one of the first things that he creates, he creates boundaries. Night and day, those are boundaries. Water and heavens, those are boundaries. Land and water, those are boundaries. And then he starts filling it. You need the boundaries to understand where you can move. You need the boundaries to have the appropriate fear and reverence and love for the person who put the boundary in. And so that's how we were created. Don't touch it, you will surely die. Don't touch it because I'm telling you not to touch it. Don't touch it because I need you just to, uh, to listen to me because this is what my heart is. I don't want you to do that. And so the serpent comes and he's like, well, let's examine this a little bit. Let's look at this from a new perspective. And in the serpent's interactions with Eve, we kind of get an anatomy of sin, the makeup of what's going on. He begins to sew some things in. Look at the first question he asks her. He says to her, did God really say? Did God really say that? And what he begins to do is he begins to kind of get into her system of thought and get her to begin questioning what God said. Now, listen here. It is okay to question God, to levy some questions to him that, God, I don't understand. I need your help on that. That is fine. This is not what the serpent's intent is. The serpent's intent is to get Adam and Eve to begin thinking, is there fault in what God said? Is it true? And then he follows up, and so, so she, she replies back with the words. Then he follows up, no, 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 you're not going to die, and begins to sow in the ability for us to outright deny something that God has said, to, to check it off and say that's wrong. And then if we can check it off and say that's wrong, he rewrites it. For God surely knows that when you such and such and such and such. So we begin to then rewrite God's words to fit our own desires, or begin to look at it to fit our own desires. What is the serpent doing? The serpent is not causing Adam and Eve to reach their hands up and eat. The serpent's sowing in these seeds of mistrust. If I can get them to mistrust, to not trust the very thing that has been said by God that is keeping them safe, then I got them. And that there sets us up for where we are today. Verse 6, the action. What does Eve do? She, Adam and Eve, excuse me, you need to keep those two together. This is not Eve's fault. Adam and Eve together. And so what do, what do they do? They look with their own eyes. They see it desiring, and then they, they, they take and eat of it. They did all of those things. They questioned. They doubted. They rewrote it to fit their desires. They mistrust God. That is the essence, really, of sin. It's the creature wanting to become the creator, wanting to say that we're God, but then also, and possibly more foundationally, to completely mistrust anything God has said, to run that through the gamut of whether or not I believe it or not. 
Is that not the world that we live in right now? Is that not what we see out there where people are like, mm, you know, what you say as a Christian, what the Bible says, that's not for me. Obviously, that doesn't work in our time period, so we can kind of make up our own sense of what, what goodness is and our own sense of what identity is, our own sense of whatever those things are to make ourselves happy. There's a lot of me, 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 Toby Keith's song. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about my. I want to talk about number one. No, no sorry. But anyways. That's what's happening there. It is a mistrust. If you were to turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, the famous story in there of Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus comes to John at night. Excuse me, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and he comes to Jesus at the nighttime to kind of figure out who he is. And as Jesus has this interaction with Nicodemus, he, he, he begins to say, Jesus says to him, you have to be born again. You need a, a, a new creation. Not born again of human means. You need to be born again from up above, from the Spirit. You need to begin to have these eyes to see who it is I truly am. And then what does Jesus say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, what? Believes in me shall not perish but live forever, right? So, that word believe, can we all agree that John 3.16 is a foundational verse in Christian theology? Can we all agree that that's probably core, core verse? That in order for us to know who Jesus is, we have to believe in him. The Greek word for believe is trust. The Greek word for believe is Trust. So to undo all of this mistrust that swirls inside of us, that continues to question the validity of what God says, that continues to doubt what God says, that continues to rewrite what God says so that we can be happy and joyful in our own terms. In order to undo that, what Jesus is saying, be born from above and believe in me. Trust in me. Get back to trusting with all your heart and soul in who I am. Am. So yes, we are, we were created. And that original intent is, it, it's still with us in spite of our fallen status. But in order for us to really place our trust and belief in Jesus, in order for us to really see the need in the Savior in our lives, we first have to sit here and understand why it is we don't trust him. Every time that we do something against the Lord, it is a violation of trust. We think that he's not going to show up, and therefore we do it on our own. Have you ever been in that situation in life? Maybe in your deepest, darkest places of life where you waited on God to come, and he didn't come on your time. And so, therefore, you made the leap to say, he doesn't exist. I don't need to trust him. He didn't come when I asked. Do you not see that that is a rewriting of what God has said? Do you not see that that is a mistrust of what, what the Lord has called us to be and to do and to love and to, to believe? And so, we sit here at this space this very uncomfortable space of understanding that, that I, Mike, that you, your name, is a sinner who is separated from the Lord 
and is in need of Christ in order to heal and mend that relationship. You sit here with that. Now, next week, we get redemption. You are redeemed by the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. So you get the rest of the rest of the story next week. That's where it gets to be all joyous and happy. And lo and behold, Jerry gets to preach that one. So yay, right? He gets to come and rain down the joyous fire for that. So act like it's a surprise when you get here that I didn't give the rest of the story away when he says that, you know, you're redeemed by Jesus. I need some hallelujah something to show some surprise. But before you get there, you need to know that, yes, we are created, and, yes, we are sinners for now, but made in the image of God we will always be, always. And for those in whom he calls by name to be his own, those in whom profess a belief, a trust in Jesus Christ, these sins are washed clean. You may not realize it. In the first service you would. You may not realize that we pray sometimes in here a prayer of confession where we come before God and confess the ways that we have fallen short. But immediately after that prayer of confession, there is an assurance of pardon, an assurance that belief in Christ washes us clean of those sins. You have to have the reality and the weight of sin first before you can understand and accept and trust in the redemption offered in Jesus. And so, my friends, my beloved brothers and sisters, you all are a bunch of skunks, but God loves you anyways. I can't take that. That's my father-in-law's, but you can write that down. Sinners we are for now, but made in the image of God we will always be. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, in so many ways we, we mess up, we screw up, we put ourselves before others, we worry about our image, we worry about our protection at the sake of other people, we sign up for ministry areas, we sign up to volunteer, we sign up to do things so that people can see us in action and not necessarily just being a part of the mission of this church. We do all of these things to kind of elevate ourselves up to the great somebodies. But Lord, let this message today humble us all to realize that without you, we, we don't amount to anything. We're just creatures trying to be a creator. We're just portraits trying to be an artist. So forgive us, God, for our, our tendency to do that, for our actions in doing that. And lead us down a way of knowing that placing full trust in your son, Jesus, full trust in him, Lord, would, would lead us to everlasting life where a day will come when this part of us is no longer seizing control. And that day, we will know and see you truly and rejoice in knowing that we are yours. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we hear a message today that reminds us of the ways that we are separated from the risen one, the ways that we tarnish the image, hear now and understand that because he rose from the dead, because he obeyed God about a tree and died, now lives forevermore, and we who place our faith in him can live forevermore too. So in spite of our sinfulness and brokenness, remember, you were created by the creator God 
who breathed life into you, who calls you his own and offered his son up for you to know, to believe, and to trust. Spread that good news to someone else who needs to hear today. Words in Jesus' name that we have preached and know these things. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. Y'all have a great weekend.